So we are, we are back in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, we took a mini break over Holy Week, which started from Palm Sunday, and then uh, it was Passion Week, and then we celebrated Resurrection Sunday all together. And I think um, Resurrection Sunday is just special, right? There's a lot of joy, uh, celebration, uh, a lot of life that seems to be in the room. But the question now is, what's next? After the resurrection, after the great celebration, what do we do? And I think that's the question that the disciples had to answer when they encountered the risen Lord because, uh, you know, prophecy was fulfilled. Everything that Jesus said was going to happen, happened. And so their question was, what's next? Uh, What do we do now? Now, Jesus stayed for 40 days on this earth until he he went back into heaven. Uh, We read in Acts chapter 1, which is also recorded by Luke, who's writing the gospel today. Uh, We also know that Acts is really part two of Luke's gospel. And we read in the opening verses of Acts that while Jesus was spending time with his disciples for 40 days, he proved that he was alive, he was risen, but also he spoke of the kingdom of God. I mean, if you, if you know that you don't have much time with your disciples, you're going to teach them the, the most important lessons uh, that they, they're going to need moving forward. And for Jesus, that was the kingdom of God. He felt like the disciples had to have a clear understanding of the kingdom. And that's why today's passage, I feel like, is, is so important because Jesus is talking about a kingdom. Uh, this is not something that's new already. We've seen in previous passages that he hints to the fact that he is actually the true king who deserves all our praise and our worship. We also know when he started his public ministry, he declared that the kingdom of God is near, therefore repent and believe. We also know that Jesus died because he claimed to have this kingdom as, as the king. He was crucified. And when he was risen, he proclaimed that the kingdom is, is here again. So what's up with this kingdom? Uh, how do we make sense of this kingdom? That's the question I want to answer today. But look at the context. Look at what happens right before this passage in verse 17. It says, And Jesus came down with them, the twelve, which he selected after praying all night. And he stood on a level place with a great crowd of disciples um, and a great multitude of people. And what happens next is quite remarkable. Uh, we see that Jesus He is able to display his power in a way that the sick are being healed from their diseases. We also see that the troubled are being freed from unclean spirits. Um, And so people are wanting to be with Jesus. They want to touch Jesus because the moment they touch Jesus, all their problems are gone. They're they're being healed. They're being fixed. um, They're being renewed. And we see that Jesus has authority over diseases and demons. But one thing that we have to know is that Jesus... Although he is a great guy, a good person, he's not just doing this out of a good heart. Uh, He's not just doing this because, you know, he he feels pity uh, and and he feels bad uh, for people. But he's doing this to display that he is actually the true king. Now, why do I say that? It's because Isaiah 61, there's a prophecy about a coming Messiah that was given to God's people. And what we see is that in that prophecy... Isaiah says the one who is anointed, he's going to come and proclaim good news to the poor. He's going to set the captives free. And also, he is going to heal the sick. And so Jesus, what he's doing is as he's displaying his authority over sickness and diseases, as he's proclaiming the good news, he's saying to people, I'm it. I'm the one you've been waiting for. I'm the true king. See this reality. 
And it makes it, he makes it very clear in verse 20 as well. As he's speaking to, um, uh, to the disciples, it says in verse 20, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And so starting from verse 20, we have uh, this sermon that Jesus delivers um, on this plane. And so often it's called the Sermon on the Plane. And the main topic of this sermon is the kingdom of God. Uh, what's the kingdom about? How do we live in this kingdom? How do we get into this kingdom? All these questions about the kingdom are going to be answered in this passage. So how do we live in this kingdom? I just want to highlight three things from today's text. Uh, and today's a good day because I was able to kind of match the first words. You're going to see the contrast between two kingdoms. You're going to see the comfort in God's kingdom. And then lastly, you're going to see the call uh, by Jesus. So let's look at the contrast between the two kingdoms. The kingdom of God is radically different from this kingdom. That's the contrast. The kingdom of God is radically different from this world, this kingdom that we live in. Now, I know we're not familiar with this idea of, of kingdom, uh, that we live in a, a free country, democracy is our thing, uh, but there are areas in our lives where we still have people who are, who are making decisions, they rule and they reign over us. Uh, and so to some degree, we understand, the, the under, understand what it means to live under authority. Uh, but Jesus, he says that the kingdom of God is radically different from the kingdom of this world, or it's simply this world. He explains this, first of all, by giving us a set of blessings and a set of woes. Um, now, the word woe is something that no, we don't really use that word quite often, um, but some people translate it as this, how terrible for you. Uh, so it's an expression when you see uh, a person who is about to face devastation, who's, out, who's about to be destroyed, and you feel pity, you, 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 you feel bad about that person's situation. And so it's being contrasted with a life that is blessed. So you have a blessed life and a woeful life, a good life and a sad and unfortunate life in today's passage. Four blessings and four woes. So let's look at this. The Bible says you are blessed, verse 20. Blessed are you if you are poor. Blessed are you who are poor. Verse 21, blessed are you who are hungry now. And then in verse 21 again, blessed are you who weep now. In verse 22, blessed are you who are hated. And then reviled and, 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 and persecuted, the idea is there, but basically someone who is hated. On the flip side, you have a pronouncement of woe. Woeful life um, is displayed in verse 24 first. Woe to you who are rich. Woe to you who are full now, verse 25. Woe to you who are laughing now, and woe to you, verse 26, when all people speak well of you. So, Four blessings, four woes. Now, if I were to put a group of people in two categories, on one side, I say here we have people who are poor, people who are weeping, people who are hungry, and people who are hated. And on the other side, I have people who are rich, I have people who are laughing, people who are full, and people who are loved by others. Like, they, they, they are spoken well of others. They're in a position of honor. Which group of people would you consider blessed? Which group of people would you say they have a pretty good life? I think all of us living in this world will say, of course, it's group two. The people who are rich, the people who are full, the people who are laughing, 
the people who are honored by others, those are the people who we see as blessed, who we see as successful, who we see as, as, as people who are living a, a good life. And the reason why I think we also go towards that group is because we can identify with that group better, right? A lot of us, if you have to choose between rich and poor, I understand we have some students here that might be saying, yeah, man, I'm, I have nothing. But just think about the, the, the context, your, 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 your homes and, and how you are being provided for. Would you consider your life rich or would you say you are absolutely poor if you have to choose one or the other? Most people in this room would say, yeah, rich. I mean, you are living in the wealthiest country, and the counties around this area are probably the most wealthiest counties in the U.S., so we have a lot of riches in our lives. And you ask the question, every time you eat, do you get full or you stay hungry? Like, our problem is that we get full too easily, right? We have too much food in our lives. Um, do you laugh more or do you weep more? Um, I think we can entertain ourselves. Uh, it's in 24-7 now. Like laughing is easy. And the last thing that we see is, are we hated by others? Or do speak, people speak well of us? Now, if you have to associate yourself with one group, a lot of us would say it's group two. And because of the standards of this world, because who we can associate with, I think you know, we would we'd look at group two and say, yeah, that ought to be a blessed life. But notice what the text says today. Jesus says, blessed are the poor, the hungry, the weeping, and the hated. Jesus is making a clear contrast. There's a clashing of views. The world will view that group two is successful and blessed. But in God's kingdom, Jesus says, it is group one that is blessed. It is group one that is satisfied. It is group one that is living the good life. Two different ways to see the world, two different ways to place value in your lives. One way is the way of the kingdom, and another way, if I can simplify it, I think is the way of, of um, is the materialistic way. How we place value on the things that we see, feel, uh, the things that are now. And so a clear contrast between the kingdom of God and the things of this world. So that's number one. Number two is this, the comfort. The kingdom of God comes with great comfort and blessing. The kingdom of God comes with great comfort and blessing. Now, for many of us, these words are not that comfortable because we can identify more with group two. But I want to tell you that this is actually good news. When Jesus is describing the people who are blessed, it's actually good news for us. And in order to understand this, you have to understand who Jesus is, is, is pointing to when he says the poor. In verse 20, it says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Now, some people try to spiritualize this, especially using Matthew 5.3. They would say, well, there's another set of Beatitudes in the Gospel of Matthew. And in that verse, Matthew 5.3, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So it's not talking about materially being poor, but talking about a spiritual condition, how you are spiritually uh, you know, empty. You are spiritually in, in need. And so what people would say is that, that hunger that you have spiritually is what gets you into God's kingdom. And that could be true for Matthew's gospel. But I, I don't think that's what Luke is saying in today's passage. Now, some people would say that Luke's account of the Sermon of the Plain is actually a summary of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, 
they say that because a lot of the topics that are being addressed are quite similar. But for me personally, I think it's two different occasions. Um, you kind of see the setting is a little bit different. Also, it wouldn't be surprising if Jesus was sharing um, a similar sermon to a different crowd. I mean, a lot of great preachers or speakers, they always reuse their sermons, right? Not because that's the only thing that they can do, but because those are the things that are important. And so Jesus, I think he's getting to the heart of the issue. He's sharing something that's important. However, I don't think we can overly spiritualize um, the verse that we see in today's passage. We just can't say, well, Jesus is not talking about material stuff. I do think he's talking about people who are materially poor. Because the contrast is that he's speaking about those who are rich. Um, and are we going to say that that's rich in spirit? What does that even mean? So I, don't, I think it's a stretch for us to just simply take this spiritually. I think it's also a stretch to generalize this. So don't spiritualize it, but also don't generalize it. Meaning that I don't think Jesus is saying that everyone who is poor, according to the government, everyone is poor, according to society, is automatically blessed. And they get to go into the kingdom. Uh, I do think God has compassion for the poor, for the weak, for the broken. Absolutely. But is this creating a separate category, a criteria that allows people who don't have much in this life to enter into God's kingdom? I don't think so. Why? Because if that was true, we wouldn't need the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's only one category that you have to check when you enter into God's kingdom. It's whether or not you place your trust in Jesus Christ. We are saved by grace, not by our works. God allows us to come into his kingdom based on the works of Jesus Christ, not based on our life condition or anything that we do. So it would cause a lot of problems if you simply say that God has a special place for these people, therefore they get a pass in life. So I'll be careful of, of overgeneralizing um, the poor, the hated, and, and, and the weeping here. So who is Jesus addressing today? Who, who's the poor in today's passage? The key to understanding um, what Jesus is trying to say is understanding who he's speaking to. Because it says in verse 20, although Jesus is surrounded by a multitude of people, a great crowd, it says that he's specifically addressing his followers, his disciples. It says in verse 20, and he, Jesus, lifted up his eyes on his disciples. So his eyes are fixed on his disciples. He's looking into their eyes and he's speaking these words to them. Blessed are the poor for yours, yours is a kingdom. He's speaking in the second person. He's saying, you guys. And I think this brings so much comfort because what happened right before this in chapter 5, the disciples, they left everything behind in order to follow Jesus. They literally are poor. You see that they struggle with hunger. And that's why on a Sabbath day, they're quick to eat, right? Like, or they, they're washing their hands. They, they forget to wash their hands in a ceremonial way sometimes because they are struggling with hunger. I mean, when Jesus was teaching a multiple crowd, hunger was an issue. And that's why later on Jesus feeds the 5,000. You see that hunger is a real issue among his followers at this point. And we know that there's going to be moments uh, that the disciples are going to weep, that they're going to struggle. There are going to be moments when they're going to be hated, excluded, reviled, and spun on the count for the Son of Man, it says in verse 22. And I think that verse is so key because it tells you it's not that you're just hated because you're kind of, I know you did something wrong and evil. If that was the case, the worst criminals in jail would be beloved in God's kingdom. But that's not really the case. What we're saying is if you are persecuted, for your faith, because you follow Jesus. God is saying you are blessed. So who is Jesus addressing? I think he's addressing his followers who are in these type of conditions. 
So these conditions are not the criteria in which someone enters into God's kingdom, but he's speaking of those who are already in God's kingdom who are living in these criteria because it makes you wonder, if they've made a choice to follow Jesus, shouldn't they be rich? Shouldn't their life be kind of easy? Shouldn't their life be somewhat successful? I mean, isn't that the question that we ask personally when we follow Jesus? I made a decision to follow Jesus, but there's so much trouble, so much sorrow, so much brokenness in my life. Like, I'm still struggling to pay my bills. It seems like I can't get out of these, these problems. And so we wonder, you know, did we really make the right choice? Is following Jesus really the right way because it seems like the righteous is suffering while the wicked are prospering? And so how do you make sense of this whole situation? I think Jesus does clearly teach about, um, uh, about uh, money or, or wealth uh, in this passage and in different places. I'm not going to spend too much time because we're going to have soon uh, parables that address this issue. But one thing I could say is this. The Bible doesn't say that it is sinful to be poor. The Bible doesn't say that it is sinful to be rich. Uh, the Bible doesn't condemn a person who has a lot of money simply because of the amount of money that person has. Rather, the Bible is not concerned about the amount of money that you have. It, he, the Bible is concerned about the love of money that you have. That's what Jesus says. Your problem is not that you have a lot of money. Your problem is that you love money so much to the point that you are worshiping money. You are making money and material things a priority. So when you think about wealth and money as a Christian, some people, they think that automatically if you're a Christian, you got to live in poverty. Like if, if you're a faithful follower and you, you, you drive a nice car, you live in a nice place, then, man, you're doing something evil and wrong. Um, but I don't think that's the case. You have so many godly men and women in the Bible who were actually wealthy. You take Lydia, who was a, a rich uh, Asian business lady in, in, in one of the pillars of the church of Philippi. You have Abraham, who is blessed with material things as he's faithfully following the Lord. You have Israel, when they came out of Egypt, they were blessed by the Egyptians with all these possessions so that later on they can build a temple or the tabernacle. You have all these people who are blessed throughout history, although they are faithfully following Jesus. And then you have people who are living in poverty. You have some prophets who are really struggling to even eat. And, and so I think we have to be clear about this. Uh, we have to be aware that you know, we don't believe in prosperity theology, meaning that just because you believe in Jesus means that everything in your life is going to work out and there's going to be no suffering, no sorrow whatsoever, and you're going to have all these material blessings. We, we reject that. Uh, we refuse to believe in that. At the same time, we refuse to believe in poverty theology, uh, where we simply believe that in order to faithfully follow Jesus, we need to be poor. Um, that's not really the case. What God says is it's not the amount of money that's the problem. It's your attitude towards money that is really the issue. Whether you have a lot or poor, and this is exactly what Paul says, whether I'm rich and poor, I live with contentment. Why? Because I know if I'm blessed with a lot of things, I'm blessed so to be a blessing to others. When I don't have much, I know I can be content in Christ. And so in 1 Timothy 6, uh, Paul gives instructions about contentment to the poor and also to the wealthy. He says, be generous and don't be arrogant. Don't place your hopes in riches. But back to the, the blessings and the woes. So I think it's, it's clear that Jesus is addressing his disciples who are in these type of conditions. And he's addressing the attitude that we ought to have towards these things. He's not simply saying that it is a bad thing to be rich, to be full, to be laughing, to, to be loved by all people. That itself is not a bad thing. 
But what I think Jesus is saying is this. If that's ultimately your goal in life, if you are trying to have all those things apart from God, if you're finding your value in life, your worth in life, and all those different things, then woe to you. I think that's what he's saying. So four different categories that we see in the woeful life. Track with me on this. It says in verse 24, Woe to you who are rich. And I don't think it's just talking about the amount of stuff that you have, but it's talking about power. Because we know uh, that with richness, with wealth, comes power. In any society, money speaks. No, you have power when you have a lot of money. So it's talking about riches, but also about power. So Jesus says, if you are seeking power apart from me, if that's your ultimate goal in life, then woe to you. The next thing that he mentions is those who are full now. And I think that's talking about material comfort that you're comfortable in your life. Um, and Jesus says, well, woe to you if you, all you're looking for in your life is to be comfortable. Jesus says also, woe to those who are laughing now. And the type of laughing is not the laugh that you would have when you hear a funny joke. Um, the Greek word that is used here is actually used in, in, in other than one case in the Bible. It's mainly used in a negative way. And it's used when you see someone crash, when you see someone defeated. It's when you are victorious and you're laughing at that person's face, that's the type of laugh that we see. It, this person is laughing in, it's in the person's success. That's, what, that's the idea here. And so the idea of success is being addressed. Jesus says, although people pursue success, thinking that that's going to bless their life, Jesus says, no, woe to you, if that's your ultimate goal. And lastly, it's not a bad thing to be loved by others, but if that's your ultimate goal, if you're trying to be loved by others by compromising your faith, your walk with Jesus Christ, if you are failing to be a faithful Christian because you're concerned more about your reputation than the reputation of Jesus Christ, then woe to you. Because the flip side, the one who was blessed was a person who was persecuted because they placed their hopes in Jesus Christ. It's because on the account of the Son of Man. So we're not talking about just someone who's being hated for what they've done, someone who's being hated for following Jesus in your workplace. You want to live in integrity and honesty. And let's say there's a moment where your boss is asking you to do something that you know is, is, not, is not faithful and, and good according to God's eyes. And you stand up for your faith and you say, I don't know what you're going to think about me. You might hate me for this, but I, I don't think this is right. That's the idea that we have here. Um, although everyone else is cheating in their exams, you say, no, I'm not going to go down that route. Although everyone is taking shortcuts to accomplish their goals, no, success is not my ultimate goal. I would rather be faithful to God than enjoy success in, by compromising my faith. That's kind of the idea, the understanding that's taking place in today's passage. And this is why Jesus says in Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God. And that's what Jesus is communicating in today's passage. You have two worlds, two kingdoms, and God says, Seek first the kingdom of God. He's not saying that you should desert all the things in your, in, in your life, but don't make those things a priority. Seek first the kingdom of God. And this is really difficult because I think we live in a world where we are almost programmed or pushed to pursue power, to pursue success, to pursue comfort, and to pursue the approval of others. Uh, I was having a conversation with one of the youth students the other day, and I was asking uh, uh, this person, what do you want to become when you grow up? What do you want to study when you go to college? And, and the person was saying, well, I'm not too sure. 
uh, as long as I have a good enough job to, to, to live comfortably, to have enough stuff. And that's actually the most common answer that I receive from, from people these days. It doesn't matter what I do. As long as I can make enough money, I can support my family, as long as I have enough comfort, as long as it gives me enough power to do what I want to do, I'm, I'm going to be okay. Some people are willing to compromise, uh, compromise their faith uh, in order to please others. And you see this because our culture is all about likes, subscribers, and followers. right? That's how you measure success. And in that type of culture... All you care about is not what is true, it's what other people say about you. And what God says is, you should be more concerned about how God views you than how other people view you. It's radically different how you live. When you put the kingdom of God first, it's not about just finding success. It's, it's about honoring God and living with integrity throughout your life. So we see the comfort in today's passage. Why? Because even if you faithfully follow Jesus, we see that you could be in situations that are quite difficult, but God says you are absolutely blessed in those moments. Don't, rem- don't forget that. Even when you are walking in poverty because you are faithfully uh, living a life following Jesus, even if you are hated by others, remember, it is better to be blessed in God's kingdom than to be a woeful person in, in Jesus' eyes. So the contrast, the comfort, and the last thing that we see is the call. The call of Jesus Christ to repent and to believe in his kingdom. The call to repent and to believe in his kingdom. Notice in today's passage, you only have two groups of people. Two categories of people. There is no third category. Unlike what people would say these days where you can kind of choose your own way, be your own person. What Jesus says is, although there are many people who are different um, in, in thoughts and backgrounds, you can sort them out into two categories. You, you are either part of God's kingdom or outside of God's kingdom. You are either living a blessed life or you're living a woeful life. There is no third category. And that's what we're going to see throughout the Sermon on the Plain. And so for those who are following Jesus, this is good news. Because no matter what hard condition you are facing in your life, no matter how hard you know, your life is and you're trying to support your family, no matter how much you are weeping right now, there is hope in the gospel because your weeping is going to turn to joy. Your your hunger is going to be satisfied. And so we see there's great hope, but at the same time, there's a call to repent. Jesus is saying these things, not hoping that people go down this pathway of destruction, but he's simply inviting the multitude who are tuning in. Although Jesus is speaking to his disciples, I believe that probably the mass crowd is listening to this too. And he's saying, life doesn't have to be this way. You don't have to live for fame and and prosperity, and, and success, and comfort. And the reason why you don't have to do that is, is because those things don't last. It's temporary. So two reasons why I think you should choose God's kingdom over the things of this world. Number one is because what the world has to offer is temporary, and what Jesus has to offer is eternal. Notice in verse 24, it says, Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Consolation is something that you give when someone is broken, having a hard time, and then you kind of you know, say, you know, I'm sorry for what happened to you. So you receive some comfort. Uh, but that's about it. There's nothing else. Afterwards, you still struggle with the, the hurt that you have. And so what the Bible is saying is this. Really, like, the moment that you're receiving this comfort is your best moment. Your best moment in life is right now. 
if you are living according to the world. It says in verse 25, notice the emphasis on the now. You're full now. You laugh now. But something is going to happen later. Now, I brought this up in the first service. Um, there's a great debate whether or not you should eat the best food first or last. Right? If you have, uh, maybe it's a potluck or you have a plate. I don't know what you do, whether you save the best portion of the meat or something for last or you eat it first. I personally eat it first. I think that's a very logical conclusion that you can arrive to because, you know, as you leave the food, it's going to go cold. It's, gonna, it's not going to have the original taste. So rather enjoy the best uh, at its best. But there's some people who would say, no, I want to leave with the best taste in my mouth. Um, and, and so we go back and forth in this. I think most people will still tr- probably eat the best part first, right? Um, but I think this mentality of wanting what is good now, wanting to enjoy now, I will worry about things later, is the mentality that we often have in life. Um, that's one reason why we're afraid to commit to Jesus because we feel like if we commit to Jesus right now, although we will have a good life later, uh, it's going to stink right now. That's why we're afraid. And some people are quite sneaky, and they think they can pull this off. They would say this, I'm going to get the best of two worlds. What I'm going to do is I'm going to live the best life now uh, in this world, and then when Jesus is about to come, when I know that I need to repent, I'm going to repent, and then I'll have the best life later as well. I want to live the best of two worlds, and let me tell you, that doesn't work. You know why? Because the Bible says that no one knows the season or the timing in which he is going to return, that his kingdom is going to fully come. And therefore, you are betting against the odds. The likelihood of you getting that timing correct in the best time where you can enjoy both worlds is probably 0%. And the other thing I think we need to see is this. I don't think the Christian life is just living the best life later. I think the best is yet to come, but that doesn't mean our life right now stinks. Notice there is future hope, but there's present joy in today's passage. The reason I say that is this. In verse 20, it says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. It doesn't say yours will be the kingdom of God. It says yours is, the present tense, is the kingdom of God. Notice it says in verse 23, after speaking about someone who's persecuted, it says, blessed are you who are persecuted, for verse 23, rejoice in that day. It's not talking about the future day. It's talking about the day in which you are persecuted. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to their prophets. When I say what belongs to the kingdom is eternal, I'm not saying that it's just in the future. I'm saying that it is the present, but it takes things all the way into the future. Um, so it's good right now, but it's going to get better later. That's the idea. Uh, and we see this, especially with joy. How can someone laugh and leap for joy in the presence of weeping? I think you see this, especially when people are, are, are facing death. When you see that they know that a reality is coming. There are some people who are devastated because their time is up. But there are some people that I've witnessed in the face of death that they're able to rejoice. They say to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And till the last moment, they are worshiping God, wanting to be with God in a place where there's no more sorrow, no more pain, no more hurt. And what happens that moment is God turns the weeping into joy. And at that moment, you don't tell a person, man, I'm sorry. I mean, I'm sorry for the, the hurt and the brokenness that the family's going to 
going to experience. But for the person who is facing death, you don't say you're sorry. You say, man, I wish I could be with you because you're going to a far better place than this world. For those who are hungry, for those who are lacking in life, there's a great reversal, not just in the future, but, but there is present joy because we know that how things are going to, we know how all things are going to end. So we see that there's a clear contrast between the two kingdoms. We also see that there's clear comfort for those who follow Jesus. And then we see that there's a clear invitation, a call to repent and to submit to the kingdom of God. And now there's only one question that remains. Which side are you? Are you living a blessed life or are you living a woeful life? Because there is no in-between. You're either part of God's kingdom or you're outside of God's kingdom. And for those who are in the kingdom, God is comforting you today to faithfully follow Jesus no matter what. He's telling you, hey, keep on the good work. Don't worry about what other people say. Even if your life gets really, really difficult and hard, remain faithful to me. And for, the, for those who are living the woeful life, he's inviting the people to see that it doesn't have to be this way. Now, how do you know that all things are going to work out? How do you know that this is going to be the end of the life and how the tables are going to be turned later on? I think you know if you have confidence in the work of Jesus Christ because it's not just about following the pattern of Jesus' life, but this is exactly what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Think about it. Jesus had all the riches of the world. He was the second person of the Trinity. He is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Everything belongs to him, and yet he lays down everything. He who was rich became poor for our sake. He didn't have much on this earth. Jesus says, I don't even have a place to lay my head. On this earth, Jesus, a lot of times he faced hunger. that He didn't have the fullness of this life. And yet he was completely satisfied. Jesus, there were times when he faced some weeping. You know, in the garden, when he was about to go to the cross, he was praying and weeping and, and wanting to understand God's will, Father's will. When he saw Lazarus dead, he was weeping because he sees the impact of sin. And, and so he was weeping. And so, and lastly, he was persecuted. He was, he was rejected, reviled. And what we see is, is because Jesus did all that, and now he offers us his life. Because we were worthy to be poor and rejected, and, and our life in sin is all about weeping, but he gives us his life. He took our place. He didn't have to do all that, but he took our place on the cross. And in return, he gives us the benefit. Therefore, when we are poor, we can still rejoice. When we are poor, we can still say that we are rich. When we are weeping, we can still say, but there is something that to be joyful. When we are lacking and hungry, we can still say, but Christ satisfies me. Today's passage shows you the value of Jesus and his, your relationship with him. If Jesus is that great, everything else doesn't matter. And there's a hymn that says, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full into his wonderful face, and the things of this earth will strangely become dim in the light of his glory, glory and grace. Jesus is not inviting you to just make a radical decision out of fear. He's wanting you to see the beauty of God's kingdom. So choose him and follow him. Amen? Let's pray.